0: Who Gets to Decide? A liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide? This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me today. Glad you're here. Happy you're listening. Well, I've been reading this book uh, called The Fiat Standard, by a guy named Saif Amous, And it is a really good book. Now, you know, it, it it's not a real wonky book, but it is very technical about fiat money and banking and things like that. And I thought I would try to... There, there's a couple of segments in it that I thought would be good to play and just comment on because... He does a really good job of explaining things that I've talked about on the program before, but I'm not sure I did a a great job of explaining it. And I think what I can do is play him explaining it and then kind of fill in the gaps with what he's talking about. Because this fiat money business that we have, um, money mischief is um, uh, Milton Friedman used to call it. This is destroying, and this is a huge claim that I'm making, but it is destroying the entire world as we know it. And I think you'll begin to see why it is that way. A lot of people, they just kind of accept the dollar, the U.S. dollar, the way it is, and they really can't envision and, and conceive of a world or even the United States without the U.S. dollar. And this really enables um, the the deep state the permanent washington class the whatever you want to call these people bureaucrats it, it really empowers them in a way that subjugates the rest of us and steals from us over time and and it's not just a little bit they're stealing from us they're stealing a lot and he talks about a little bit in here about how they measure the CPI, the consumer price index, and how that doesn't capture the loss that we have in productivity. Actually, it's not that we're losing productivity, it's just that it it it's covered up because of the losses in the currency, the value of the currency overwhelm the gains in productivity. And this is often lost on the average American. And I just thought it was so important. I hope you find it equally important today. Um, but I just think this is the central cause of all of our issues in America. It, it, it leads to th- wrong think. You know, it leads to thinking that modern monetary theory will solve all our problems, all our financial problems. It leads to thinking that The Green New Deal is something that's possible. It leads to all kinds of crazy ideas because the government can just print up money and demand resources from the economy. It's as simple as that. It'd be like if you had a printing press and you could print up U.S. dollars. Think about all the things you could go buy. And what you're doing when you do that is you're cheating your fellow citizens out of, you're competing away things that they may wanna buy. Okay, and you're you're being the first to buy them because your money is easy and it's easy to get, but you didn't have to do anything to produce that money, like your fellow citizens d- did. You know, you know, your neighbor is having to get up and go to work every day and produce uh, value for some company to get money that they spend in the economy. Think of the government spending money in the economy, but not earning the money. Okay, they just they just print it up, they just create credit, print the money up and spend it. And this is a huge, uh, uh, this is a huge subjugation of the American people, and it's a huge um, uh, intervention into the economy, and it and it takes a lot of power away from the individual in the economy, and it hurts the poor the most.
1: All these points he'll make. The first and most obvious cost is the wealth destroyed by the devaluation of national currencies. Every national fiat currency has devalued in real terms almost every year since its creation. This has continuously eroded the wealth of their holders. As Bitcoin amply proves, there are no good reasons for the increase in the size of economic activity or user base to require an increase in the supply of tokens used in a monetary system. But government credit money is constantly expanding in supply, and as a result, it is constantly declining in value.
0: People will often say to you, well, money is just a medium of exchange. And that's true. We just use it to trade. It's not supposed to add or detract from value um, as, as goods and services are traded in the economy. And so he makes the case here that there is no good reason, there's no logical reason, there's no financial reason, there are no good reasons for expanding the monetary base or the number of tokens used to exchange the number of goods and services in the economy. This is just a creation of central banks. Central banks have convinced people that you have to grow the money supply over time for a growing economy, and
1: that's just false. Measuring consumer price inflation is inadequate for measuring the waste of fiat, for reasons discussed in Chapters 4 and 8. Reliance on government statistics has more than just the obvious and severe problems. Governments have an extraordinarily strong incentive to influence the numbers, and government bureaucrats have proved pathologically dishonest when it comes to generating statistics. Further, changes in consumer prices are a complex product of a decrease in the value of fiat money and the increase in productivity, causing a decline in goods value. Without any monetary inflation, productivity increases would translate to price decreases. With monetary inflation, rising prices indicate an increase in money supply larger than the increase in productivity.
0: I've tried to make this point before on the program, and probably did a horrible job. But the consumer price index is arbitrary, and the reason it's arbitrary is because the the, the government pulls products in and out of the consumer uh, price index basket based on something they call hedonics. Uh, because what they do is they say, well, you know, if meat gets too expensive, people will substitute chicken and things like that. They don't. They don't actually. The goods and services in the basket don't stay, don't stay the same over time. And this is a, this is just pure and simple manipulation. But the other point, and I think maybe even the more important point is that consumer prices are, are not a good reflection of what actual inflation is because there's a, there's a complex relationship between consumer prices and productivity. So in general as our productive capacity goes up as we as we produce more because we mix our labor with machines and things like that we can we can produce more thereby lowering the unit cost of everything we make when you throw in inflation in there what it does is it masks the productive element of consumer prices so Maybe consumer prices should be going down, but they're, they're going up, or let's just say they're staying the same because the government's printing money equal or greater than the amount of productivity gains that exist in the economy. And so that has a, that has a masking effect on consumer prices. And so we're, we're being ripped off. Even, even if they say that the inflation is zero when they're talking about consumer prices, it's, it's not actually zero. It's actually positive uh, because we're always becoming more productive. That's just the human condition. We're always innovating. We're always uh, creating machines that make work easier. And so productivity is always going up. The problem is inflation is always going up too, thereby undermining the value of the currency. And most people don't notice it. They don't know that this is happening.
1: This means consumer price inflation does not allow us to estimate the wastefulness caused by using fiat money. The increase in the supply of the monetary unit is a much better proxy for it, since it is unnecessary and purely a dilution of the value held by the holders. The average U.S. house price in 1915 was $3,500. In 2021, it was $269,039. That is compound annual growth in the price of the house at a rate of 4.18% over 107 years. Now,
0: let me just say at the outset that this is not a perfect comparison because you really have to know the average size of the house and, and discount it for that. Houses are generally bigger than they were in 1915 today. But still, this is an extraordinary... You know, comparison, because it just shows you how much value was stolen from us over that period of time, stolen from your savings, stolen from stolen from the people that uh, your ancestry uh, over the years. I mean, people just do not realize how much money the government is stealing from us in purchasing power. And remember, purchasing power is just another way of saying standard of living, Um, If if I used to have to spend $50,000 on a car, but the general price of cars has gone down to $20,000, that gives me $30,000 now I can spend on other things in the economy. That's an increase of standard of living. That's what we're talking about.
1: Had the fiat standard adopted a fixed supply in 1914 and prices declined by 2% per year instead, the average American house would today cost... $411. With a much smaller supply of the dollar, prices would be far lower than what they are today. Incomes would, of course, also be much lower, but the decreasing price of goods means that they are becoming more affordable over time, and that saved money buys more goods every year.
0: I've mentioned this before on the program, but it used to be that you could just, you didn't even have to put your money in the bank to earn for it to buy more in the future than it did in day one. You could just put it in your drawer at home or in a safe, and that money would buy more uh, tomorrow or 10 years later than it did when you first put it in the safe. This is one of the reasons that government wants to have a fiat money, is they want to force you to use the banking system, because the banking system is key in producing credit. And also the banks, um, the banks buy up government debt. That's one of the functions of the banks. So this is this is a pure manipulation of the American people, and it's not even really constitutional. If you look at the Constitution, the Constitution says that Congress shall have the power to coin money, meaning make it out of metal, copper, silver, gold, things like that. So it, it's an extraordinary example that he gives you that a house in 1915 uh, could be purchased in 2021 for $411. But if you think about it, as population grows, as we become more productive, and more houses are being built, the cost of houses would go down because of innovation and um, building standards, materials, all kinds of things would cause downward pressure on house prices. Uh, So, and this would happen throughout the economy and all goods and services. So your standard of living goes up. As long as the economy is productive and people are doing productive things in the economy, your standard of living is, is always going up. The problem in our country with fiat money and every country around the world, not just this country, is the, the government is continuously undermining that automatic um, economic underlying reality by continuously
1: expanding the monetary base. $411 in 1915 could have bought your great-grandfather 12% of a house, but if he had saved it and passed it on to you, it would buy you an entire house today. Your great-grandfather's pocket change would be enough for you to live off of today. A world of decreasing prices provide people with a strong reason to save for the future and one can only imagine how much better living standards would be today had humanity not been afflicted by inflationary fiat
0: economics is all about evaluating trade-offs and the problem with economics today is it's so data-based it's so people do these studies and develop models and things like that but in order to understand the unseen the other side of the equation, the trade-off, you have to have like a logical and philosophical framework for what you're evaluating. And this is, this is fundamentally the problem with economics today. And this is why Austrian economics is so good is because it's, it's axiomatically built, meaning it's built on um, fundamental truths that, that can be uh, layered on top of one another to try to understand what might uh, the human action be if if this happened or that happened, and so I know this is hard to believe that four hundred eleven dollars could buy you a two hundred sixty nine thousand dollar house today, but this is this is the fundamental reality of the expansion of the monetary base. It's it's just math. There's no there's no uh, there's no proof needed here. It's just um, we we know this because. The entire history of the world was this way before central banks uh, came into being. Now, there's always been a debasement of the currency. They used to clip coins and take the excess metal and melt it down and make more coins and things like that. But central banks have brought a whole new level of debasing the currency to this game and um, have expanded it way beyond uh, anybody's imagination Uh, could have realized, you know, um, centuries ago. Based on World Bank data,
1: the average annual supply inflation for the major national currencies between 1965 and 2020 is 6.67% for Switzerland, 7.44% for the U.S., 9.76% for Japan, 10.87% for the United Kingdom, and 20.33% for China. The euro area data is not available from the World Bank data, but it is found at the OECD and averages 7.79%. The simple average for all the remaining countries in the World Bank dataset is 30.1%. The overwhelming majority of economic value exists in the major currencies. A weighted average inflation rate should reflect this. And when calculated, we can estimate that the average fiat user has suffered a 13.72% inflation in their money supply per year. When compared to holding hard money with a fixed supply, the average fiat user is witnessing a devaluation of the wealth stored in their savings by around 14% per year.
0: When you begin to understand the size and scope of the theft that is taking place here, you really it really makes you angry. I mean... Fourteen percent a year is a lot. Okay, that's that's kind of the the OECD companies or countries. Uh, this would be like the G eight. Okay, these are G eight countries on average, weighted average, fourteen percent per year. That is a tremendous amount of wealth that in productivity that we're stealing from people, that governments around the world are stealing from people, and th- there's just no excuse for this. Uh, this is. This is uh, this is why every year your life feels like it's harder. It's harder to get you know, to make ends meet. It's harder to send your kids to daycare. It's harder to go out to eat. you have to cut back on movies. you have to this is exactly why this happens. And most of it, most of the time it's it's a mystery for people. They don't really fully understand what is happening. They just know that they don't have, all of a sudden, we don't have the lifestyle that their parents had or whatever. You know, people always used to look at their doing better than their parents' generation. Well, you know that's no longer possible because the amount of money creation that's going on, uh, credit and money creation, is astronomical. I mean, since two thousand eight, I think I reported before, from nineteen thirteen to two thousand eight, roughly eight hundred and fifty billion dollars in credit and money was created. Since two thousand eight. It's roughly eight trillion, or eight and a half trillion dollars in credit and money. So this is happening at an accelerated rate, and so we are getting, we are rapidly getting poorer. Uh, no matter how hard you work, no matter how much money you make, the inflation, you know, boogeyman is coming after you, and and you can you can forget about inheriting anything from family members. I mean, this will all be wiped out by the time you inherit anything or by the time you give anything to your
1: children in 2019 the total global broad money supply stood at around 95 trillion dollars while total global wealth was around 360 trillion dollars this means that fiat money made up around 26.3 percent of humanity's wealth As that money is being devalued at 13.72%, humanity is losing around 3.6% of its wealth on average every year to fiat inflation depleting the value of its money. If the average trend holds over the coming year, we could expect fiat inflation to destroy around $15 trillion of value in the next year. To
0: put the size and scope of this transfer of wealth from individuals to government, I, I just did some quick math. I took um, 15 trillion and divided by seven billion because there's seven billion people on the planet. Now, not all seven billion people have the same amount of resources, right? But when you divide that that 15 trillion by seven billion, the average amount that's being stolen per year per person is two thousand one hundred and something dollars. Now. Many people don't even have $2,000, okay? This is just the average. And so this is happening every single year. And again, this, this explains why every single year it feels
1: like you're having to work harder and harder and harder to keep up. It is important here to stress the supremely repressive impact of the fiat tax on humanity. The world's poor are predominantly distributed in countries experiencing higher inflation, than that of the world reserve currencies. Further, the world's poor have most of their wealth in money, not in financial assets. The world's rich are the ones who hold the vast majority of the 75% of the world's wealth that is not in fiat, but in hard assets like stocks and bonds. The rich will own more liquid wealth than the poor, but their liquid wealth is a small fraction of their wealth, a fraction that declines as wealth increases. By having much of their wealth concentrated in the little liquid fiat they can own, the poor are constantly paying a heavy price for inflation. A lot of ink is spilled over the evils of inequality. But very few will point to this very obvious and devastatingly cruel form of economic punishment inflicted on the world's poor. Central governments are constantly devaluing and degrading what little hope the poorest among us have for achieving a better life.
0: I wish every time somebody brought up equality or inequality, somebody was smart enough to make this point. This is, this is, a, this is a tremendous point that there, there is no greater inequality in our economic system than the power of the government to create money out of thin air that creates more inequality for people than, than any other thing, anything you can point to, race, creed, uh, skill set, minimum wage. I mean, there is no other economic uh, uh, category or issue that you can point to that creates more inequality than the, than the inequality that's generated
1: by the production of fiat money. At the same time, this regressive inflation tax rewards the rich, who can borrow large quantities of devaluing fiat and who can protect themselves by holding hard assets. Predictably enough, the economists, academics, activists, and politicians obsessed with inequality tend to be highly concentrated in fiat institutions, supported by government fiat subsidies, and understandably unable to draw the obvious connection between the inflation that pays their salaries and the poor who foot the bill.
0: Yeah, I've made this this point numerous times on this program. The the difference, or the wealth gap, as they like to call it, is purely a function of fiat money and our banking system. Uh, Rich people borrow money from banks, which protects them from uh, the loss of value of fiat, Okay, and they buy what they what, they don't go out and buy cars with that money. They go out and buy businesses, and businesses uh, tend to grow over time, and they also tend to produce income. And this is how the rich get richer and richer and richer, and the the poor obviously don't know how to do this, and so uh, because of the effects of fiat currency, they get poorer and poorer and poorer, and the wealth gap grows. Now. Eventually, there's this. This will. It's like a rubber band. It'll snap back and correct itself. But uh, it's gonna. It's gonna be very painful for everybody when it does. And so, yeah. Th- this is. Um, this is a big mystery, you know. Um, and we need to talk more about it. More and more people need to understand it, uh, so that we can change it. Uh, as a as as a people, we need to change this system. It's, it's fundamentally bad, it's dishonest, and um, it's making people poor. Now, uh, the second point he brings up is equally important,
1: and maybe more so, uh, and we'll talk about that right now. The biggest and most devastating cost of fiat lies in the mechanism it uses to achieve consensus on a global ledger, violence. Whereas gold's monetary role was guaranteed by its chemical and physical properties and verification of its authenticity is possible, fiat's monetary role is entirely predicated on the authority of the issuing central bank and government. By establishing a monopoly on the issuance and clearance of monetary tokens, fiat converts all underlying monetary assets into virtual tokens arbitrarily assigned or removed by the central fiat node. Any transaction can be reversed, and any balance can be confiscated. Enormous amounts of these tokens can be conjured out of thin air into any balance by pure fiat. All value and truth in the banking system can be decided politically.
0: Now, if that doesn't just scare the shit out of you, you have an unshakable nature now, some of this we saw in Canada, you know, these people that, uh, that donated to the trucker movement, um, their bank accounts were seized. I mean, the, the central authority there just, just seized their bank accounts, made it so they couldn't use the banking system. That money's not theirs. By the way, that this is true. When you put your money into a bank, it's no longer your money. As long as the bank has your money, it, it, technically belongs to the bank. Now, you won't ever see them just confiscate your money unless the bank is about to go under or something like that. But a lot of people don't know this little fact that uh, your money in the bank belongs to the bank. It doesn't belong to you. Uh, it doesn't belong to you until you have it in your hands. And so this is why runs on the bank used to happen. Um, now they what they've done is they've, they, they basically, quote unquote, insure your money. But this is a scary kind of arrangement that he just laid out. And most people have no idea that this is the nature of our fiat money system. And, you know, to, to further his point, look at the money we're giving to Ukraine. I mean, taxpayers didn't vote to give that money to Ukraine. We are using that money as influence. It's, it's, it's a coercive technique. Okay. Um, that Ukraine war would already be over if we weren't giving them so much money. So we're, we're giving them money to, uh, follow the rules of the world that we want them to follow. And this is, this is the nature of this, uh, this violence that's created, this monopoly on violence and things like that. So, Uh, It's a great overview, very scary-sounding, and it should be, especially if you're on the wrong side of
1: it. Fiat makes all domestic and international politics an extremely high-stakes game because the prize is virtual control over all economic value, domestically or globally. Further, and as discussed in Chapter 8 of the Bitcoin Standard, the ability of government to draw on the entire wealth of its population makes it more likely to engage in military conflict and more likely to prolong such conflict, as the costs can be easily placed on the population. Under the gold standard, governments fought until they ran out of gold and could no longer tax the population. Governments can fight under the fiat standard until they have appropriated all of the value held by their citizens' money. As former U.S. Representative Ron Paul explained, it is no coincidence that the century of central banking was the century of total war. R.J. Rummel estimates that government regimes murdered 169 million people during the 20th century. All these governments were able to carry out these atrocities thanks to Fiat Money's extreme killer app, Unlimited Government Finance. If you begin
0: to understand this, you will see the world through a slightly different lens. You will see things much differently in the United States, one of the, it talks about controlling economic value, either domestically or internationally. That's what the reserve currency does for us. It allows us to control economic value, not just in the United States, but throughout the world, because all these other countries, their currencies are tied to our currency. In other words, what they do is they buy U.S. dollars and hold them in reserve to clear their trade balances. And we, we, control that because we have the world's reserve currency. Now, just think of how this makes China feel or Russia or these other powers in the world. Can can you see, can you begin to see that this is a an implement this is an instrument of tyranny not just to us as individuals living in America, but also to individuals living in other countries and the leaders of those countries. I mean, this this really has far-reaching and deadly implications to us. I've often said that my biggest fear is when they start pointing the guns at, at the United States. And, you know, who knows if that'll happen, but certainly the the advantages that we've taken, uh, the, the advantage that we've taken over other human beings in the world, both with our ability to wage war and also just... In our ability to undermine the value of their productivity is, I mean, if there's never been um, a predicate for the invasion of America, I think to the extent people come to understand what is going on,
1: uh, that will be the predicate. The two world wars and the dozens of other wars and genocides have brought about horrors the likes of which the world has never seen. The cost for the dead and their many loved ones cannot be estimated in tangible terms. Fiat's proof of work relies on violence and the use of physical power to subjugate opponents in the case of disagreement. Fiat is all about might makes right. It rewards might with the biggest prize of them all, the accounting system for all of society, increasingly rewarding the powerful, and incentivizing humans to engage in power contests rather than economic production. The benefit of running a payment system that allows you to mint money is extremely high. People will spend resources they value close to that benefit to capture it. Fiat makes violence and power the method for incurring the cost. It takes an enormous human toll, almost entirely born by people who stand to gain nothing from any authority capturing the printing press.
0: Wow, that is an incredible statement. I you know, look, I hope that you've enjoyed this. I hope you go back and listen to it over and over and over again until you understand very crisply the points that Safadin Amous is making in in this brief uh, portion of his book called The Fiat Standard. And I highly recommend it. Go out and buy The Fiat Standard. It's, it's really, I think it's a very fascinating book. Um, it, it gets you to think about things you never thought of about how this is impacting our food supply. This is impacting all kinds of things. Energy policy. It, it's basically enabling the government to uh, lead us around by a ring in our nose. And not just us, uh, the entire world. And, and so, you know, I hope you've enjoyed it. I've ho- I hope it's made a huge impact on you. I hope you've, hope you've really thought to yourself, wow, this is something we really need to get rid of. And I don't know if we need to go the, to, to the gold standard or if we need to go to Bitcoin, but we definitely need to take the power of the purse away from the government. It can't be trusted, not just our government, China can't be trusted, Russia can't be trusted, no government anywhere on the face of the planet can be entrusted with something like a reserve currency. We've got to go back to some sort of commodity standard, or we've got to go back to, we got to go to Bitcoin, we got to get out from underneath this massive um, burden, is really what it is, it's a massive burden, it's like Every day getting up and somebody throwing some bricks in your backpack and saying, all right, go out there and work and earn that check. I mean, how many of us have noticed that the month, you know, there's still four, five, six, eight days left in the month and we've run out of money. We don't get paid for another six or eight days. This is because we're not getting to realize the fruits of our productivity. It's being stolen from us before we ever even get the opportunity to use it. I hope you'll come back and listen to who gets to decide uh, again. I hope you'll share the show, maybe go onto your podcatcher and write a review, a good positive review for me. Uh, But look, the, the cost of these, you know, some people will say, well, you know, we need to have the reserve currency. The cost to us would be too great to go without the reserve currency. But, you know, what about, what about the cost of having it? What if, what if it, you know, starts a war in the United States. Uh, what if, you know, we push China too far, we push Russia too far? These these costs are the other side. These are the unseen things that we have to look at. You know, again, economics is about trade-offs. We have to be able to see the other side of the coin to really effectively evaluate
1: what we should be doing. Fiat's cost, however are numerous and far more substantive.